Once again, good morning. I want to say thank you for joining us this morning, um, wherever you are. I pray that um, everyone got new Easter jammies this morning um, and are feeling great as uh, you gather around with your family. Um, and uh, I hope that uh, you were able to worship uh, as we were able to in this room, uh, worship Christ um, and sing his praises with us. Um, as we read the resurrection story, Pastor Kyle read that story to us and reminded us of the power that we have, or the power that Christ had and what he is up to, what he has done through the gift of his resurrection. And we have been spending time over the last few weeks working our way through the books of Psalms and various Psalms really as a way or as a means of encouragement in the midst of some really challenging times. I know um, that we are all facing uh, the impacts of our world being just sort of put on pause, it seems, and what that means. And the Psalms we hope and we pray have been able to encourage us. And so I wanted to continue that this morning. On Good Friday, I read Psalm 22, which prophetically opens up and speaks to, all the way, although written long before, speaks to the death of Christ, reminds us of all that Jesus endured on the cross on that Good Friday. And Psalm 23 and 24, they point us to His resurrection and the life that we have in Him. You know, this week, the great singer-songwriter John Prine died. And he was one of the best storytellers um, that we have ever been blessed with in country music. And, uh, and probably one of his saddest songs, I don't know if you're very familiar with John Pride, you probably know his songs, although you might not know his name. But in one of his saddest songs, written about the heartbreak of a Vietnam veteran named Sam Stone, he illustrates so well with his words, as so often songs do, the hardships and the heartbreaks that we endure and yes, he's speaking specifically to the veterans of that era returning home after fighting a war that they nor the world really understood. But the chorus has a line that sticks out, a very sad and heartbreaking line. There's a hole in daddy's arm where all the money goes. Jesus Christ died for nothing, I suppose. We are gathered together to celebrate Easter we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But why, do, why does that really matter? You might not have the problems of Prine's Sam Stone, but you've got pain, heartbreak. Our world is under an attack from a pandemic that who knows what it means. Cancer is still raging. Families are still breaking. Where is Jesus in all of this? We celebrate every Easter, His resurrection. Where is Jesus today? And I think, although I don't really know exactly what was going through John's mind when he wrote that song, I think this is the question that he was asking. Maybe asking himself, where is Jesus in the midst of some of the hopelessness that we see? And that's a real question that I would expect many of us have asked before, maybe asking today, or we will one day ask in the future. And so let me give you the answer to that question right off the bat. Jesus didn't die for nothing. 
He died and took up his life again to deliver you into something far greater than this world could ever offer you. He didn't die to satisfy the desires of this world, all the things that we hope, all the things that our hearts would like to have today. He died to restore us to the place that we were created for, a place that we have faith in and knowing, and we have some of us maybe just a glimmer of hope that we might be headed for, but the place we were created for. He died, he took his life up again so that we could have perfect union with God. If you were with us on Good Friday, you remember this is what we described in the very beginning. In the garden, God looked upon his creation and said everything was very good. His creation had perfect fellowship with himself. And that it was broken by sin. And so Jesus was the remedy, the hope. We so often settle for just enough when God, He desires for us and has ushered, in to, uh, or ushered us into a life in Christ of abundance. Think about it. We settle for just enough. Just let me get through today. Maybe this will make me happy. Maybe this will satisfy me. Maybe this will make me feel better today. But God has a plan for us, has a design, has a purpose for us that we would have life in abundance. And now check yourself. When I say that word abundance, more than likely your mind went to abundance of earthly things, which describes the problem. It kind of demonstrates how deeply rooted that lie has gotten into our lives. That we think and believe that if we just have abundance today, everything will be okay. But that's not what Jesus died for. That's not what Jesus took his life up for. That's not what the resurrection means for us. He didn't die to satisfy the desires of our hearts today. He died to restore us to the place that we were created for. This is why Easter matters. And we've lost sight of Easter so often because we settle for the lesser things. The real hope of Easter, the blessing of the resurrection is that we learn to no longer fear death. And if not death, all the sufferings of this broken world have no hold on us. What is there to fear when we do not fear death itself? I read this week, and obviously addressing the situation that our world finds itself in today, Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage in AD 251, during the plague where 5,000 people were dying per day, 5,000 per day in the city of Rome. He said, we are learning not to fear death. And the power of the resurrection, Easter Sunday, should teach us, should remind us that we do not fear death. And when we don't fear death, everything else falls away. You can be gripped by one thing. Either you are gripped with getting it all figured out in this life, or you're going to be gripped by the love of God for you and lose your grip on this world because you trust in His love and His purposes for your life. You can't have it both ways. We all know our bodies physically will die. We will face death. And before we get to death along the way, there are heartbreaks and joys, pain, sorrows, wins, losses, endings, and beginnings. There are so many things that this life will have for us. Jesus Christ went to the cross, 
took his life up again to redeem our messed up heart. He rose to prove his power to give us a new heart. Through his death we are redeemed. Through his resurrection we are given new life that is eternal. Psalm 22, as I said, speaks prophetically of that death. And in Psalm 23 and 24, we see, again, a prophetic word. This psalm was written by David. These psalms, Psalm 23 and 24, were written by David, but they speak a prophetic word of Jesus' resurrection, his victory over death. We're so familiar with Psalm 23, I guess, that many of you could even begin quoting it right now. Psalm 23 describes the relationship between the Lord and his sheep. It also depicts, again prophetically, the perfect relationship between God the Father and God the Son, the Good Shepherd and the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb who was slain and the Lion of Judah who conquered death. If we see these psalms and we, rather than thinking of them as comforting words to us first, and we first look at what they say about Jesus, what they teach us about Jesus, the comfort that we'll gain from them is even much more deeper. When we read the Bible and we try to put ourselves into the story too quickly, we miss some of the power that it has for us. We miss some of the joy that will come from it. We miss the truth of what God intends to say to us. But if we first see Christ in these psalms, rather than seeing ourselves, we will have a greater reason to worship him. We love Psalm 23. I'll read it for us now, and many of you, again, can just quote along with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You hear Jesus in that? Jesus himself led by the Father. Everything that he was, did, he was told to do by the Father. He leads him. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus walked through the valley, and guess where he came? He arrived on the other side alive. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Do you remember Jesus on that Thursday night? When Judas betrayed him, do you remember his head being anointed with oil in his life? These psalms, they teach us and they show us Jesus' life. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's what Jesus believed when he walked this earth as a man, fully God and fully man. But when we think of that verse, when we read that, I wonder, do we really believe it? That last verse is a summary of really the greatest promise that God could make to us. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
you believe that? It speaks to us so clearly. It is this great promise of God, but I think it is also one of the things that is hardest for us to believe because we look at our lives and we think to ourselves, I don't know if I see goodness and mercy all around. And the problem is, is that we look wrongly at this goodness and mercy. We look at the gifts or lack thereof as evidence of goodness and mercy. When we are, life is good, things are going right. When we are winning, we say to ourselves, goodness and mercy. But when hardship comes, when we're confined to our homes, when we can't go out, when we, our businesses are being wrecked by an economic disaster that we had no way to prepare for, where is goodness and mercy? We look at the gifts rather than the giver. I have a good friend who is in the midst of a, negotiating a business transaction, and he very much wanted the deal to, to happen. It was, it was going to be good for his career, his family, and he had worked hard. He had been faithful. He's a believer. Now, most of us would say that if the deal was made and the transaction went through, that that would be goodness and mercy. God's goodness and mercy were present. But when things go south, if that didn't work out, if there was something that got in the way of that, we would resign ourselves as Christians. We would say, well, that wasn't goodness and mercy, but I know the Lord has a plan. His ways are perfect. He'll figure this out. But we would be resigned. We would, we would be, there would be just a, a mourning in our spirit. See, the beauty of Easter is it secures this promise of Psalm 23, verse 6. Death has been put to death, and therefore the only thing that remains for us as believers is goodness and mercy. No longer are we bound by sin and death. We are not under the weight that it carried in our lives. The judgment that should have been ours was levied against Christ on the cross on Good Friday. The goodness of God is the abundant and everlasting love that we now can live in. Because death is dead, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. We exist in the everlasting goodness and mercy of God always because Jesus walked out of the grave, because Easter matters. Death no longer has a sting. We are free. We have goodness and mercy because we know today that when Jesus rose from the grave, we know that he was the perfect sacrifice. In him, he is mercy. See, when we rightly see this verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Another way to say that is, if you are found in Christ, there is nothing in this life that can kill you. There is nothing in this life that can ultimately harm you. There is nothing but goodness and mercy overflowing washing over you all the days of your life. Yes, hardships will come. There will be pain. There will be frustration. There will be sad days. But we have hope because we know that this is the truth. And then he continues in verse 6. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will be returned to the perfect, eternal fellowship with God because Christ has made a way. 
The death of means that I have nothing but goodness and mercy in front of me. The death of death also means that my future is secured forever. The future, of course, though, is not secured by me. This is where we get in the way. This is where we have a problem. So many of us think, well, my future is secured by the things that I do. We constantly try and balance the scales of our lives. We do something that we know would be wrong, and you know that it's wrong because you're convicted before you even speak it or because, but even when it's done in secret. You know that that is wrong. There's this weight that sits upon you. And so when that happens, then the next day you wake up and you think to yourself, I'm going to go and balance those scales a little bit. I'm going to go try and do something to make that right, to fix that situation. But that's not what allows us to have a a future that is secured forever. That future can be, was only secured by one way. The righteous put to death, taking on God's wrath for us on our behalf. That future was secured by Christ. This is what we read of in Psalm 24. Psalm 24 says this. I'll begin in verse 1, and I'm just going to read a first few verses. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. The one who can ascend the hill, the one who can secure this forever perfect relationship, us dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, is not, it's not possible by us. How do I know that? It's because the one that the psalmist asks of, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his holy place? It is he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. We know, most of us, I believe, would say that we want to have this relationship with God. Even if you might not describe that in that way using those terms, you realize there's something bigger than yourself out there. You want to have this relationship. Perhaps some of you have described this as, hey, I want to get to heaven one day. I want to be with God. I want to have this fellowship with Him. Most of us in this life desire that type of ending. We have hope that we might get there somehow. See, when Jesus rose from the grave, this is what He did. He spent 40 days with His disciples, and over 500 witnesses testified to seeing the resurrected Jesus. So if there's ever been a question in your mind of whether Jesus really walked out of the grave, all of the various schemes and ploys to try and kind of discount that cannot be disproven. Jesus did walk out. And in John chapter 20, verse 30, it says this, Now Jesus did many signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. John is saying, I wrote all of this book to to convince you, to show you that he is the Messiah. And after spending time with all of these people, Jesus has taken his disciples on a journey. And he tells them that he's going to send them to do his work. 
And then, and only then, he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. Who can ascend the hill? Who can have presence with God? Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. That means He is God incarnate when He walked on the earth. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So that everything that we see in this world is held together by Jesus. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. The one who can ascend the hill, the one who can go to be present with the Lord, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart is only Jesus. So we have this desire that's sort of built into us because we are created for a relationship with God. No matter how much we strive and deny that, that is not the truth. We were created for a relationship with him. And we, we know that deep inside of our souls. And so we want to go and be with him. But this psalm says there's no way we can get there. Only Jesus is the one who can ascend the hill. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. So, what about us? Where does that leave us? How do we know we don't have clean hands and a pure heart? Well, one of the reasons is that we so often lift up our soul to what is false. We believe lies. If we think we have a right to ascend into the presence of God based upon our own efforts, our own goodness, we know in the depths of our hearts, when we lay our heads down on those pillows at night, that there's not enough goodness in us to have presence with God. We know ourselves better than anyone. doesn't matter how much we try and lie to ourselves. We know attempting to lie to God. If we lie to God... How do we not lift up what is false? We know we are not pure. We know we need help. And what we need to receive is something from God. If we're going to be good enough to enter into the presence of God, we need Him to give us a righteousness that we cannot find on our own. This, again, is why Easter matters. The one who will ascend will have received his righteousness from God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't miss that, friends. The one who can ascend the hill, who can be in the presence of God, who can go and dwell with him, has to have righteousness, a righteousness of Christ. And the psalm clearly tells us that there's no way, because of our deceitfulness, because of what lies within us, our sin that is in our flesh, we can't ascend that hill. The only way that we could make our way into the presence of God and for death to have no sting is for us to receive something from God himself. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 is that promise to us that Jesus, for our sake, he who was perfect and knew no sin, became sin when he went to the cross and took on God's wrath so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
If you've been with our church before, you know I've hit that verse before. That we are gifted. The theological term there is that we are imputed Christ's righteousness. That we receive it from Him. We will only ascend to the presence of God to be with the Lord because Jesus, the one and the only one who was truly clean, who had a pure heart, he walked through the valley of the shadow of death and he spat out the mocking and life, the the hatred that came for him and he walked out of the grave. He walked through death and he was victorious over death thereby proving that he was once and for all the complete sacrifice. And after his sacrifice had been made, the final sacrifice, we only need to believe. And we are given the righteousness of Christ himself. This is what Paul describes in Romans chapter 4. He's talking about Abraham and Abraham's faith and how Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. In chapter 4, verse 22, it says this, That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We receive that righteousness the righteousness of God from Jesus, when we believe, it is given to us by grace through faith. Now here's where we sometimes get off on this this thought related to receiving Christ's righteousness. We think that maybe there's an exchange made here. Again, in our human condition, we're always trying to negotiate our way out of this, negotiate our way into God's presence, sort of everything being okay. What God says here is not that he makes an exchange. You give me some faith, and I will then in exchange give you some righteousness. If you have just a little bit of faith, I'll take that enough, and I'll consider you righteous because of that. Rather, faith in what Christ has done is what unites us to Christ. So that God now no longer sees us. When he looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness. He gives it to us. When we believe, we are given His righteousness. Faith in the depth of Christ's love on the cross and the power of His love in the resurrection have secured for us a secure dwelling place in the house of the Lord forever. So for you and I, if we are found in Christ, we have this blessed assurance that we will not face death. Jesus, walking out of the grave, put death to death. Jesus ascended the hill. He is in the holy place, seated at the right hand of the Father. And He was the only one that could make that way. We are not the ones who could. Sometimes, again, we might read this verse and say, can I ascend the hill if I do enough things? If I do the right things, can I be present with God? No, it requires Christ's righteousness. And because he did ascend that hill, because he is with the Father at his right hand, he proves he is who he said he was. And we can live without fear of being rejected when these bodies fail. 
This is the promise of Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We know that we can't ascend the hill. We recognize that reality for ourselves, but we also know when we put our faith in Jesus that we have been declared as righteous because of God's goodness. And because we have been declared as righteous, we have nothing to fear. There is no condemnation. If you don't have faith in Christ today, my belief is that you go throughout your days, probably most days of your life, you feel some form of condemnation. I know as a Christ follower, there are days when I feel under attack and I feel myself and I have to remind myself of the promise of this verse, but I can remind myself of the promise of this verse. I hope that you too would believe today and be filled with the promise of this verse that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, in His righteousness, clothed, covered by His blood. That's what it means to receive Christ's righteousness. No, we can't ascend the hill of Psalm 24 on our own. We only ascend the hill because of the imputed righteousness we have received from Christ. And since we have that righteousness that is not secured in any way by us, what can come against us? What is there to fear, friend? Your future, because of Easter, is eternally, forever secured. God looks upon you in all of your mess, and He says you're righteous because Jesus has said you're mine. And because you're righteous, there is now no condemnation for you. You have nothing but hope. You have nothing but goodness and mercy all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. What is left? This is what Paul wrote about as he continued in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If our God is for us and he's proven how much he's for us when he laid down his life on the cross for you and I. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Don't go to the abundance of this world, friends. That's where our temptations lie. He will give us all things. He will give us himself. He will give us eternal presence with him. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You don't want to know what happens when you don't know how to pray? When the grief of this life is so hard that you don't even have the words to speak to God? When the hardships, the brokenness of your marriage, the challenges with your kids, the job goes away, all of the, the accolades are just silent. You have, feel as if you're Job and you have no friends. When all of those things happen to you, do you know who is interceding for you? Jesus. Because he walked out of the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's telling the Father, that one's mine. There's nothing that will ultimately come against them. There's no condemnation that will come their way. Yes, this life is hard, but we have hope because Jesus intercedes for us. He continues, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Is there anything in your life that's not in that list? I've been thinking about it. I can't find anything. That list just covers it all. I'm waiting for the sword. 
That's the one I can't figure out. That had, thankfully, God's grace hasn't hit me. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in all of those hardships, neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Because Jesus ascended the hill and sits at the right hand of the Father, And he has secured for us this eternal hope. Paul in this letter to the Romans, David in this psalm speaking prophetically of Jesus' ascension and what he's accomplished for us, he is not belittling or making light of the trials that we face. That's why he said all of these things will come against us. And that's the problem once again. We think about this life in trying to accomplish any way we can insulate ourselves from those problems. What can I do so I don't face tribulation, so I don't have any distress, so I don't feel persecuted? I better not mention Jesus' name in any way because persecution might come against me, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. We will do all that we can in this life to sort of kind of hem ourselves in and make sure that we don't face any challenges. But we, even as hard as we try, we know we can't do that. Those things will come against us. And so Paul is not making light of those. And I don't want you to hear me say that because of Easter, I don't care about your problems or your problems, you just need to think less of them. No, what I'm saying to you is that because of Easter, because Jesus walked out of the grave, you look to him and you hold on to the future that you have and you make more of that life, you make more of your future, you allow that to be the promise that you hold on to and and the biggest thing in your life and the things of this world will become smaller. They will become less. Don't try and insulate yourself from those problems because you can't. And if you're old enough, you can think back throughout your life and you can say, yeah, I tried that, I tried that, I tried that, none of those things protected me. We will have trouble. The resurrection is not protection against trouble and hardship as some might try to persuade you. The resurrection is your your security that that trouble will never kill you. The resurrection is your security that that trouble is not condemnation from God. The resurrection is your security that you have hope that will outlast anything you face in this life. These present troubles, these present tribulations, as Peter would say, will become nothing in the face of Jesus. Because we have been counted as righteous through our faith in Christ, we can rest in the peace of Psalm 23 and the eternal hope of 24. When Christ put death to death, he delivers all of God's promises to us. Jesus didn't die for nothing. He died. He rose. He put death to death. And we now have Christ's righteousness, which secures us in this life, gives us an anchor to hold fast to, and assures us of life with Christ forever. 
So let us shout with the psalmist. Lift your heads, O gates, and be lifted, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise be to Jesus. Amen. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of your goodness and mercy. The promise that that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Thank you that I have been found in you and therefore have received from you your righteousness. And I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that your spirit would move so that there's anyone who has doubts, anyone who is looking at the face of the trials in their life and they're wondering, I don't know if any of this is true. Holy Spirit, move and allow them to believe. Give them the faith to believe in what you did, laying down your life on the cross for their sins, our sins, taking your life up again, proving your victory over sin and death. Let us believe and put our hope in that finished work so that we would be counted as righteous. And because of that righteousness that we receive from you could have eternal and perfect fellowship with you Father, that's what you created us for. That's what you intended us, where you intend us to be. So I pray that we would believe. And for those of us who have already believed, help us to take our eyes off the gifts and look to you, Lord Jesus. You our goodness and mercy. You are all we need. Let us put our hope in you. Let us be a people that are filled with such joy because the things of this life we know have no hold on us. Nothing that comes against us shall hold us away, will keep us away from you. And that's all because of what you have done. So help us to be the most joyous people on the planet as we celebrate today and we live in the power of your resurrection every day until we see you face to face and dwell with you forever. I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.